Something is transforming our markets and our world. It's the longevity economy. Americans 50-plus driving $7.6 trillion of economic activity every year. Without a doubt, aging is fueling growth in every industry. Are you ready? AARP is by actively teaming up with business leaders and innovators, sparking new ideas and real solutions. Visit AARP in the smart home marketplace and see how they're using technology to tackle social isolation and build social connections. Hey, everybody. Tyler Suters with the Consumer Technology Association. We are the owner and the producer of CES, the most influential tech event on the planet. We are here to help you get CES ready. The big show is coming up January 8th through the 11th. 2019 in Las Vegas. And on this week's episode, we are addressing and discussing diversity in tech. We're talking to the advocates who have also succeeded as entrepreneurs in the marketplace. We will have a conversation with the founder of Alice, who is active in the VC sector, has a global marketing firm as well, and retail expertise. It's a great, well-rounded conversation. And also, a discussion with the CEO of Latino Tech. She's not only an advocate, she is an engineer and an entrepreneur as well. All that's coming up on this week's episode. And to help me address this issue and talk through the where to's and why for's, Tiffany Moore is CTA's Senior Vice President of Political and Industry Affairs and also leads on the association's diversity initiatives. And Tiffany, my friend, great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to join you and talk about getting CES ready. <laughs> well, I love talking to you about this topic because it is not only your scope of work, this is your passion. Uh, diversity initiatives are something you have uh, addressed virtually your entire career and now are addressing most specifically here in the tech sector. Excellent. Yes. It's one of the things that we understand, particularly when it comes to de- tech and when it comes to innovation, is that the most diverse team that you have, the better products that you make, the more solutions, the better solutions you provide. And so at CTA, we want to make sure that we are amplifying those diverse voices in tech, but also how do we help build the pipeline? How do we make sure that we're amplifying those voices? How are we creating partnerships with organizations who have the same passion? And again, how are we making sure that you know diverse entrepreneurs and startup founders have access to incredible uh, showcasing like we have at CES at Eureka Park. So let's dive into that how to some degree, Tiffany. On on, on one hand, you, you said it really well, which is um, the tech sector, like many sectors, wants the best, the brightest, the most talented, the best leaders, the most successful, because it is cutthroat competitive in this industry, right? Again, like many others. On the other hand, you have to be active, proactive to make this happen. You can't sit back and wait for the best to rise, right? We have to sow the seeds well upstream within the talent pipeline. I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that we're focused on, particularly when it comes to CTA, if we talk about pipeline, that's one piece of it. Uh, How are we making sure that where we live and work, that we are focused on making sure that kids, particularly young girls and kids of color, have access to learning how to code, uh, entrepreneurship skills. We have an incredible program that we support in Clark County, um, which is where Las Vegas is, that gives those skills to uh, kids within the area to make sure that they're developing that talent, developing that entrepreneur skill set that will serve them well in the future. 
What about role models? Um, when we look ahead to CES 2019, uh, the keynote stage will host IBM CEO Ginny Rometty, uh, AMD President and CEO Dr. Lisa Su. So there are examples up there, but we're not talking about that as the only platform for role models, right? This is very much, uh, I guess I'll use the term grassroots, even though that's more of an advocacy term, but about getting positive influences um, in schools, in community centers, and even in incubators, right? The parts that, that can really influence the success of individuals as well as young companies. Exactly. One of the things that's important is that you aspire to what you see. And so it's important to have women and people of color who are in the tech sector as role models and to be able to see them in so many different platforms. That's the great thing about CES and not just on the keynote stage, but if you look at our conferences sessions, they're incredible talented people in tech who will be on those stages that will provide an opportunity for young kids or startup founders to see and understand that that can be them and that they could be on that stage in the coming year. All right, Tiffany Moore, SVP of Political and Industry Affairs here at CTA. Uh, you are the expert in the room on this. So tell you what, although we could spend the entire podcast talking about the tech sector and where diversity stands right now, uh, let's branch out a little bit and talk to some of the other folks who are, as we said, not only advocating, but also in the field very much themselves as entrepreneurs and in one case as an actual engineer. Joining us now is Elizabeth Bilchis. She is CEO of Latino Tech and not only an advocate, she is an engineer, she is an entrepreneur, and also worked in early stage investments at a global technology company. Elizabeth, it is great to have you with us today. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Tyler. I'm happy to be here. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us. We're so excited to hear about Latino tech, but first, let's talk about your career. You've seen from almost every vantage point within kind of the tech sector as an entrepreneur, as an investor, as an engineer. Uh, what have you seen when it comes to challenges uh, that that were that challenges that are faced within trying to build a diverse tech workforce, and kind of that what inspired you to kind of engage and build Latino tech? Across the different experiences that I have, um, one of the things that has really made been um, really made clear is that a lot of entrepreneurs from under underrepresented backgrounds have a hard time really building their relationships with investors or or previous entrepreneurs that have built companies successfully and are onto their second or third venture. I think really getting um, the opportunity to network with those individuals and get the feedback on their on their startups to figure out what, how to take the next steps is really important. And it's something that I've seen a, a gap in within the ecosystem. And for us, we've actually been able to leverage our relationships with investors to start to build those relationships. And that, again, it's not just to get feedback and advice on kind of where they're at, what steps should they be looking at, but also to, to in the future, as they start to show traction and that they can really um, hit their milestones to Start to pave the road for investment, which is another big challenge for for the entrepreneurs that we work with. Elizabeth, I couldn't agree with you more, and that's one of the reasons why we have CES Eureka uh, Park, so that we have an opportunity for startups to get that access and that exposure. And one of the reasons why we're excited to partner with Latino Tech. But as you kind of, you know, what we believe is that you just, you know, there are incredible startups with diverse founders 
uh, building incredible platforms and companies, but you just have to kind of broaden your lens. And one of the things that I saw with Latino Tech is that you all are supporting so many different startups who are building incredible products, and you all are amplifying them, you're supporting them. Uh, can you tell a little, tell us a little bit about some of the companies that you are, you're working with? Yeah, absolutely. And they really range in different things that they're working on. Um, one of the the I guess like the most fun in that it was like kind of like why doesn't this product exist already? Um, is the founder that's working on building a gaming application that is like the equivalent of like bingo, but for the for the Latin community called Loteria. It's a very uh-huh. traditional like Mexican game and. It's like, he's like, he had done all his research. He had showed me all of the different apps. And I was like, yeah, they have terrible user experience. And so he was really building a first product that um that actually scaled, that scaled for uh, an unlimited amount of users and, like, different types of complicated interactions. So he definitely also had some, like, work to do on the UI. But he's, like, he's building the back end first for it to be able to scale and really create community once this thing is, like, really ready to go, um, go live and to me, that was so fascinating because it was something that I grew up playing and I had such a strong connection to it. And it was like, you know what? I, I want to see something like this come to life. And again, as simple as it may seem to others, is that it really resonates within within the Latinx community. It's something that is like so close to us. And so we were excited to see like, okay, um, what can we do to help? Is there like, would you like feedback on how the product is developing from our investors and what kind of next steps it would like to see before they consider um, funding something like this? Um, so that was something that we were excited to 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 try to help along in his journey. Another one is a a group that's working on trying to change how how individuals get in, engaged within policy. They're building a platform mm-hmm. that allows you to um, to indicate what your interests and what your you would like to know that is going on in Congress in terms of topics, whether it's like healthcare or education or um, anything around like voting. Um, and as bills are being voted on, on the on, in Congress, they actually send alerts to you on what are the bills that are upcoming, and they ask you how you would like to vote, and they actually help, help voice your opinion. Even though if you can't do it, they'll actually, they've created a service where they'll call Congress on a regular basis to explain where you stand on the issues and they'll call you like your specific representative and then let you know what kind of feedback they got. And again, this is something for those that want to be engaged, but may not like have a specific time to be able to call every day or like every other week to be able to like voice these concerns. Like they can just like schedule it and it actually acts on their behalf. And it's a, it's a subscription model that they're playing around with, which I think is really interesting. And given the the climate that we have now, right. I think, uh, which is listening to, um, I was just reading an article around like how the Latinx vote this time around in the midterms. It's just like it's grown so much, and it's because a lot of things that are happening. So to have somebody from our community working on that, which is not so relevant, again, it's something. It's like it's a really interesting space to see and see where how they start to develop that idea now that the the, the view on being active within policy is is changing and people are becoming more more engaged. Um, I love that. And then there's, I absolutely yeah, love there's. That. There's just a range of different companies, but they're they're all like really incredible. And again, on our end, we're trying to figure out how to push more of the work that they're doing because we feel like it's now more than ever starting to become so relevant. And you know, we want to be able to to help them just capitalize on the moment and the momentum around the issues. Excellent. And one of the things we kind of talked about is kind of the growing base of Latino voters, but also 
of uh, of the population. And one of the things that we believe at CPA, and I, I'm sure you believe, is that the more diverse workforce that you have, the better products that you make, the more the better decisions that you make. And can you speak a little bit to that with your career about you know as you're trying to build products for the changing uh, demographics of the American public, the importance of making sure that uh, you have a diverse team building those products. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I tell um, tell our community members, and I, I try to say every time I, I get an opportunity to speak on it, is that um, if there's one thing within the Latinx community that I see as like a type of superpower, and really in in any community that starts to blend um, or merge cultures or backgrounds, right, is that a lot of Latinx individuals and entrepreneurs come from growing up within a, a an environment where they're they're asked to have like two identities and understand the world from two different perspectives, right? It's usually like the heritage and the background that they come from, and usually that means like speaking another language at home. And then growing up in um, in the U.S., they start to understand like other norms and habits, and again, like they take on the language and the customs. But they often have to bounce back between these two worlds and understand things from two different perspectives. And again, that's something that allows them to really build a product that can speak to multiple audiences. And as we're starting to see the demographics change in the U.S., where there are a lot of people that um, are starting to blend backgrounds and cultures, and like we're becoming like we, we are becoming a, more of a blend within like our own households of the different um, ethnicities and nationalities and cultures that we embody. It's like being able to understand why it's important to see something from different perspectives before you actually push it out into the world. Um, is such an important skill because you can put something out there that's only seen from one lens, from one perspective, but somebody else might take to on it completely differently or like not use it as it's expected. But if you can bring that understanding of, okay, this is how somebody from this type of background or understanding would approach it. This is how somebody else would do it. And again, being part of the population that, again, is poised to become one of the largest populations within the U.S., like just bringing that perspective, but already like knowing that you have to understand things from two different perspectives, that's how we grew up. Um, I think it's so important to build things that are really relevant to people and, and the, in the way that the U.S. is changing to just be like multidimensional in different ways around culture um, and, and our heritage and our norms. So to me, I think that that's really important. And again, this is something where um, the Latin X community has has a little bit of an edge and can really leverage that to build really really amazing products. Excellent. Now you talked a little bit about kind of the challenges um, that Latinx entrepreneurs face, particularly when it comes to kind of media and getting people to know about their products. But there's also an issue of VC funding. Can you speak a little bit to kind of unfortunately the dearth of uh, investment when it comes to women and underrepresented communities in tech when it comes to startups. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's only uh, it's like less than two percent that in venture capital funding that really goes to founders that are from underrepresented backgrounds. And again, that is something that is incredibly um, it's a it's a big problem, and we need to figure out how to address um, a lot of the issues from what I've seen really stem from the fact that the um, venture capital world, a lot of the individuals that, that make those decisions that source the startups um, really don't come from within like the networks that that the underrepresented founders come from, right? Like often they, they come from Ivy Leagues or they are entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that have, have built multiple companies and that are bringing their friends um, 
to the venture capital circle. And again, like, um, it's something that doesn't it doesn't reach because of the methods of who, who gets involved within venture capital. Um, it doesn't often touch our community and give us that access that we need to build with relationships with those individuals. Um, what is exciting to see is that in the last couple of years, there's been more of a push to really diversify the venture capital space. And there are organizations such as um, Unshackled Ventures and um, what is the other one? There's the Cape Four Center out in Oakland, California. There's a couple of venture capital firms that are coming up that are focused on really funding underrepresented founders and giving them that opportunity to gain access to capital. Um, one of the things that we're also tracking is like the number of Latina in venture capital. Um, as of right now, mm-hmm. there's 35 and that list is growing and we're trying to build relationships with each and every one of those so that, again, um, we can learn from them and what our founders should be doing as well as give our founders access to them and their experience and just learn like what should they be doing, who should they be talking to. And hopefully, um, as they build relationships with them, that they can also open doors and give warm introductions to the people that will play will get, make a big impact in development of their of their companies. Um, and so again, I think it's something that's it's been a, a big problem in the past and slowly it start people are starting to pay attention and start to change those things. Um, and we're monitoring those things closely. So again that we can we can open those doors um, for our community. Excellent. Now, you know, I would ask you based on again your incredible experience, you know, in almost every kind of role what type of advice would you give to um, a startup founder who has a great idea and they're trying to figure out what's next? Yeah, um, absolutely. It's um, one of the things I'm a big proponent of and I always tell people, it's like, it's really like, you know, challenge and test your idea. Really prove that you're solving a problem Um, because technology nowadays, it's like, it's so fascinating. It's so interesting. It's really cool. And a lot of people like, want to be able to like get engaged with the tech and see what they can do with it. And and that's great. It's great to have that excitement. But again, we have to really be mindful that when we create a product or a company, it's really to address a need that somebody has. Uh, it's a pain point that you're trying to solve for others. And it's not just an opportunity to test something cool. Like it's really, I'm going to solve a problem and, and use technology in a way it hasn't been used before and then build a, a cool product in the process. But the need of the user and the customer comes first. And all along the way, make sure that you're really understanding their need and how your product addresses it. Um, in the very beginning, there's a lot of people that are like, hey, if I sell you this product, would you would you buy it? Or how would you use this product? And then I really coach people to like really try to understand, like, hey, what's your biggest problem? Don't try to sell them first. Really try to understand what that problem is and then see how it relates to your product. But don't set the, the user to, to start to think about what you're building first before they actually think about what the problem that they have is and what is the most challenging thing they would have to overcome for, for that problem to get better. And and once you can do that, really continuing to test it with the user along each stage of the development and look for that validation. So whether it's somebody that gives you access to their to their information or to their clients or to um, whatever it is to let you pilot that idea uh, that's a sign mm-hmm. that they are interested enough and they're vested in seeing this, that they're giving you access to their information. They're giving you access to their their clients as if it's a B2B, right? It's like that is validation that this is something interesting. And then like look for that next step of like, are you getting customers that are willing to pay for that product? Like really be clear on on how your product is developing and the validation points at each of those stages. Because then that really sets up to have a really interesting conversations with people that want to support the work that you're doing and gives them a sense of where they can be a resource to to help support that growth. 
Excellent, excellent. And I think maybe one last question. So Elizabeth, one of the things that I read an article um, about you uh, not too long ago that talked about your personal experience as a undocumented immigrant coming to the country and as a dreamer, kind of your experience and kind of how um, that plays a role, particularly with Latino tech and making sure that, you know, that dreamers have access to build companies, but also just the idea that entrepreneurship is, is important, particularly given the state, the current state of affairs. Yeah. Um, that is something that is like, it just could not be more true. I think that's one of the other reasons why I'm really passionate about entrepreneurship. It's not just about the innovation um, and the impact it can, like you can create with the product. But for me, it's something that I've seen as such an incredible solution to be able to continue to develop um, myself and my community, really, when it seems like all other doors are closed and there's no other way to to go about and really make contribution to your communities and to your country in, in a in a large way, right? And for me, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship really opened that door where um, as long as you could innovate, there was less limitations on that. And you actually, ha- I actually got the opportunity, right, to to take part in this without um, creating a conflict with any with anybody else or any of the policies that exist. Because entrepreneurship really um, is pretty accessible to anyone here in the U.S. Excellent. I couldn't agree more. And I think that grit and determination. Uh, we need more of that uh, in our tech sector, in our entrepreneurs, and in our companies. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to hear what Latino Tech is doing, and we can't wait to hear what's next. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It's been a pleasure to be part of this podcast. Tiffany, hey, I know you've got to run too, but before I let you go, we have heard from Latino Tech, and we're about to hear from Alice as well, two groups that you've developed deep relationships with here at CTA. Talk a bit about the importance of partnerships, uh, not just for us here at the Consumer Technology Association, but within the tech sector overall. Exactly. One of the things that we found is that we all understand that diversity is not going to be solved by one person and one organization. It takes a team. It takes partnerships. And that's the value of organizations like Latino Tech and Alice, which are focused and passionate about how do we make sure that women and diverse uh, entrepreneurs and tech uh, tech employees are in the mix, are valued, and are amplified. And we're excited to partner with them uh, in that mission and in that cause. Yeah, a lot more to come before CES, right, in, in the intervening month or so. Tiffany Moore, great to have you with us, my friend. And I know lots of good work ahead for you and the CTA team. Thanks, Tyler. A word from our sponsor. Something is transforming our markets and our world. It's the longevity economy. Americans 50 plus fueling growth in every industry. AARP is teaming up with innovators using technology to build better social connections. Learn more at the AARP booth in the Smart Home Marketplace. Carolyn Rods is founder and CEO of Alice, and she is joining us today from Houston. And Carolyn, a real pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned Houston, and I mentioned Alice in the same sentence. And there's a reason that you founded Alice there uh, deep in the heart of Texas, not just because it's your hometown, but because of what Houston is and has become, correct? Correct. Houston is the most diverse city in the country. A lot of people call it the, the future city of America because of our 
demographic makeup, and we have really great diverse representation here, uh, a, a burgeoning innovation scene, but I think it's a great landing spot for, for Alice in terms of really highlighting what an inclusive ecosystem could look like. Yeah, so how does that fit in, that location, with your mission statement at Alice? Well, Alice really started as the answer to what I wish I would have had when I started my first business. I left investment banking. I had absolutely no idea how to grow a company. Um, I knew a lot about business. I knew very little about entrepreneurship. And I learned just about every lesson um, the hard way. And for me, after I I ultimately ended up closing that business down, um, I call it my unofficial MBA because it took me about as long, cost me about as much. (laughs) And turned right around and because I'm an extra slow learner, started a second business and ultimately ended up selling that company to one of our clients. And it wasn't until I started seeing a lot of traction with that second business that doors started opening. My mind started broadening in terms of what a company actually could look like, being able to go out and raise capital. Um, I was invited to go speak at events and then get involved in these different networks and communities. And finally, I felt like, God, I was like, if I had had this on day one, imagine the sort of business that I could have run the first time around instead Mm -hmm. of taking so long and doing this path so slowly. Um, And so in creating Alice, it really was, you know, how, how could we create in scale, the idea of the advisor, friend, and, and mentor um, for a business owner that really helps every entrepreneur, regardless of who they are or where they come from, navigate this experience of entrepreneurship. Um, let me delve just briefly into your chops as an entrepreneur. Um, you have helped raise billions of dollars in capital for a number of innovative organizations. Um you launched a global marketing firm, and all that is built upon your remarkably successful retail line that sold all over the country. So with that as a basis, when you look in the mirror, Carolyn, what do you see as an entrepreneur? And do you, in your mind, represent the, the changing face of who an entrepreneur is in the United States right now? Yeah, I certainly, you know, if you had asked me, 20 years ago, if I would be sitting here running a tech company, I would have laughed because I was not capable of writing a line of code. Um, <laughs> and it would I, be something.com 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was, you know, really saw myself, frankly, climbing the corporate ladder. I was in investment banking, um, you know, really envisioned myself always in some corner office. It's a big corporation and, and uh, you know, following that career path and, so I think, yes, do I represent what I think entrepreneurs are today? A hundred percent in terms of, you know, I'm a Latina woman. I grew up in Spring, Texas, I'm the daughter of a Bolivian immigrant. Like, I'm not typical. I think what a lot of people would think of when they think of an entrepreneur in technology. Uh, but I, I think today what we're seeing is that there is opportunity everywhere. Absolutely anybody can become an entrepreneur um, with the right resources behind them. And that means having access and knowledge to to what's available out there. And that's really, again, sort of the core of why we created Alice. So let's go down that path, uh, Carolyn. Um, one of the verbs that is used very often in this space is to democratize that access, right? Whether it's knowledge, whether it's opportunity, whether it, whether it's capital, frankly. But democratizing these things to a broader community. What exactly does that, does that mean to you? Is that more of a buzzword or more of a practical application? 
You know, I think there's democratizing access and then there's scaling access. Mm -hmm. And for us, it really is about scaling access. Um, There are lots of great organizations out there that are very focused on diversity and inclusion. Lots of great programs that are trying to continue to diversify, you know, who they're bringing through their programs and doing a great job at it. Um, But what we saw was that most of those programs are accessible to, you know, 20 or 30 or maybe 100 or maybe even 1,000 business owners. But the problem is there is, you know, there are millions of entrepreneurs out in this world, but they're all dealing with different things. They're, you know, some of them are running small businesses. Some of them are running, you know, technology companies. And while the issues are dealing with are very much the same, everybody's trying to build their team. Everybody's trying to manage cash flow. Um, everybody's trying to create a good sales pipeline. But the answers and solutions to those problems very much depend on who an entrepreneur is, where that entrepreneur is located, their level of sophistication in terms of running a business, um, you know, the, the people around them and networks that they're involved in. But if we could open those doors and say, you know what, we're going to figure all of this knowledge, pool it all in one place, and then make sure that you have every piece of what you need when you're ready for it to get you to the next level, how can we start to then scale this access um, Mm -hmm. in in a really um, smart way. So it's not just saying, look, you can find anything on the internet these days, but it's overwhelming. And so we're going to give you the 10 things that you need to know today to solve the problem you have right in front of you so that you can get to the next level and start to think bigger. So measuring success, and I don't mean metrics as much as arrival, if you will, um, Fairly straightforward when you're talking about yourself as an entrepreneur, for example, the, the business you're starting, the company that's, that's growing, um, maybe it's an eventual IPO. What, though, does success look like to you when we're talking about inclusiveness and inclusive business? How do you know or feel when you're there? You know, inclusion is this really nebulous thing. We talk a lot about it. It is. We talk about buzzwords. I think diversity and inclusion are are huge buzz, buzzwords today. And it, it is both, I think, very exciting and a great opportunity, but it also instills a lot of fear in people um, that they're going to misstep, that they're going to do the wrong thing. And so for us, when we think about success, it is the idea that every single entrepreneur knows what they need to take that next step. And I think right now, it really is so much. And it's, it's amazing to me that here we are in this you know, industry of innovation and to me, it's one of the least innovative industries of all. I mean, we still share everything through word of mouth. It's very much about your network. The way you get in front of a venture capitalist is about who you know. Um, you know, the way you're able to apply to certain programs, and pitch competitions, is really were you in the right place at the right time to see that opportunity. For me, inclusion is, is it's very nebulous. It really is a feeling and making sure that somebody knows they belong when they walk into a space or when they join a conversation. I think there's this, these buzzwords today that we throw around in terms of diversity and inclusion and they're they're great opportunities and I love that it's becoming you know a much more important part of the conversation and a part of the narrative but at the same time I think it's instilling incredible fear in um, in the community as well in terms of people being afraid that they're going to misstep or say the wrong thing and to me that's almost a step backwards and so where I think there's a great opportunity um, and what we are, are continuously and always driving forward with at Alice is ensuring that every single business owner 
knows, you know, when an opportunity is available to them, that they understand what they need in order to, to qualify for that opportunity. Um, and that it becomes more about the type of company that you're running, um, you know, the, the heart and passion behind those founders and their skill set instead of who they know um, and who they're sitting next to. Because I think that's where we start to see a lot of these barriers happening. It's just awareness and access at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I want to make sure I'm not oversimplifying here, Carolyn, but um, part of that decision is uh, a recognition, right, that inclusiveness is part of a healthy business strategy. So when a company decides to move in that direction, an entrepreneur wants to move toward that, then comes you know, step two, and, and there may be many more micro between, but it's, okay, how do you find, how do you recruit, how do you keep a diverse talent base, one that, that yes, is inclusive, but it also is the healthiest thing you can do for your business? And when Elizabeth and I first started, Alice, it really, it started with a conversation um, talking about inequities in, in, in entrepreneurship specifically, uh, but really seeing that, you know, we, we talk so much about this, but there's a massive opportunity here. We felt like nobody um, was acting on that opportunity yet. I think that conversation is starting to shift, which is exciting. Uh, but when you think about inviting in and retaining talent, the first thing that, that we always encourage a lot of the companies to do and that we do ourselves is to get out of our own bubble you know, it's so easy to go post a job posting on Indeed and see what comes through or you know, to shoot a post to your network. And we certainly do those things as well. Uh, but it's also important to reach out to partners, to go, you know, pick up the phone and call, you know, the Black Chamber of Commerce or pick up the phone and talk to Empresarias Latinas and see, you know, who they have who might be interested in, in an opening or a position. Um, get out of those circles and, and broaden your network to go to the places where you know those diverse candidates are. Um, the other thing is not just to stop when you find one good candidate to really think about, you know, is this good for your team um, from all perspectives? Are they bringing a really diverse viewpoint to your company? Um, you know, what are the things and the gaps that you see in your team that aren't just the core skill set needed for that job? Mm-hmm. In terms of retaining talent, um, I think it's really important to show a commitment to inclusion at the highest levels. And that means, you know, hosting a roundtable and and doing a a check-in periodically with people within your company whose perspectives might be different from the norm and making sure that they feel like they're being heard and they feel like they have a voice there. Um, It's not just, you know, I think so many times we see people kind of checking the boxes of diversity and inclusion, but not being genuinely committed to it. I would say I'm like hosting a panel with the word diversity in it does not make you an advocate for diversity. Um, making sure that you're looking somebody in the eyes, that you're hearing their conversations, that you're inviting their voice into the conversation, that is inclusion. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing progress? As you mentioned, you're in the tech sector now, which surprises yourself, I think. Are you, are you seeing progress, though, Carolyn, when, when, when you look around at, at your peers and the companies you're now considering to, to partner with? I see progress. I mean, I think on on all ends, what I would like to see more of is an acknowledgement that we are there are going to be some serious missteps along the way. We are all trying to figure this out. And, you know, in full transparency, I think when we started Alice, look, I represent one voice of one Latina in technology with one experience. I do not represent 
all Latinas in tech. I don't understand all Latinas in tech. I certainly don't understand what it's like to be a black founder, you know, in manufacturing um, or, you know, a, a native founder in uh, retail. And so I think there are so many diverse perspectives here when we think about uh, startups and business in general in terms of diversity, that it was important that we acknowledge fully along the way that we're going to, we're going to screw up now and again. So bear with us. We have the best of intentions and we're trying and we want to invite everybody else's opinion to the table. And people share them all the time with us about things that we could do better and ways that we could challenge ourselves. Um, And I appreciate that fully. And I think the more we start to open up that conversation and let people know that we're all going to mess up here. We're going to say something that's going to piss somebody off, but let's, correct people versus, you know, knock people down for doing the wrong thing when the intentions are good and teach them and use these as teachable moments that we can share and improve. I think that's where we're going to start to see real change happening. Because I I think the thing that makes me nervous is that there is, like I said, there's a lot of fear in the space um, and a lot, which, which creates a lot of hesitation to take certain steps. And I think the more that, that, you know, we start to, to work together on all sides, I think we're going to see see this change happen a lot more rapidly. So startups are, of course, such a rich environment to find a diversity of entrepreneurs and founders, Carolyn. Um, Alice will be at CES 2019, which you know, is the largest startup event on the planet. Um, how do you and your team go about finding these entrepreneurs, hearing these stories, um, discovering these these founders' narratives um, that really do represent the entire ecosystem, entire cultural makeup of the country, maybe you know, in some senses with all the international attendees, the world as well. How do you seek them out and and find them effectively and efficiently? Yeah, for us, it's you know, we always say we keep sort of one foot in the mainstream ecosystem, which I think is so important, and then one foot really looking into um, more traditional business environments. And I think the more that we can start to bridge those worlds together, we see really, really great businesses. I mean, one of my my favorite uh, startups is a, a mother-daughter team that started in Lake Oswego, Oregon. It's totally disconnected from you know the, the world of Silicon Valley and but an incredibly successful business. And so I think starting to just look outside those mainstream places is where we see the most diverse and unique stories. Um, but being able to connect them to all of the riches of the resources that exist um, at a place like like CES, I think is so valuable. Um, and so for us, it really is, you know, kind of looking and being present in all worlds and, and looking at our job as, you know, if we can help navigate and understand the ecosystem and spend 100% of our time doing that with the goal of bridging those gaps where they exist. Um, you know, that's the value that that we're really looking to provide. Mm. Insight from an expert voice. Carolyn Rods, founder and CEO of Alice, and so much more. Carolyn, I don't want to go through your bio again. We'd lose even more time, but <laughs> what, a, what a terrific conversation. Really appreciate you, you sharing your time and, and insight with us. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you chatting with me. So a fascinating conversation on this episode of CES Tech Talk, but I'm pretty confident we're going to hold your attention for our next episode because coming up next time, the future of robotics. Yeah, and among our guests, an organization that has a distinct interest in robotics, and you may not have thought of them 
as being so active in the tech sector. We're talking about AARP. All right, that is coming up next time on CES Tech Talk, and we want you to be CES ready. So, step one, subscribe to this podcast. That way you won't miss any of our episodes leading up to the show. Number two, make your plans for CES 2019, January 8th to the 11th in Las Vegas. And maybe this is 2A. I don't know. You could call it three. It's go to the website, ces.tech. That's ces.tech for all the information on who's speaking when, which exhibitors are located where. Map out your show. Get your strategy together to be CES ready and make the most of the most influential tech event on the planet. As always, none of this is possible without our true podcasting stars, our in-studio engineer, John Lindsay, and our producer, Tina Anthony. You are both the best. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon. <laughs>